0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. It's so good to see so many of you here this morning. Um, If we haven't met before, my name's Tom and I'm one of the leaders at Hope Church. We're going to be concluding a series that we've been going through, looking at the statements that Jesus made about himself when he declared, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life and so on. And late, later on, or in just a few moments time, I'm going to be unpacking Jesus' statement when he said, I am the true vine. And we're going to be in John chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, you might want to get turning there now. If you don't have a Bible with you or if you're not familiar with the Bible, the verses that we're going to read together are going to come up on the screens around the room. And we're going to read uh, the first 11 verses together. Let me just paint a little bit of context for you. Jesus, as we found out last week, Jesus had sat his disciples down. He was having a final meal with them. He had washed their feet, which is kind of a strange thing to do, but he was symbolizing for them the kind of leadership that they were to um, They were to demonstrate as they led the church in the uh, years to come that they were to be servants. They were to serve people and they were to humble themselves and serve others' needs. And Jesus had washed their feet, he had broke bread and he had drunk wine with them to symbolize that his body was going to be broken, his blood was going to be shed for them. And he said, one of you is going to betray me. And in fact, he turns to Peter and says, you're going to deny me. And they're very, very troubled at this news. And last week, as we saw, Jesus comforts them with the news that he is the way and the truth and the life, and that he has a place for them, he has a home for them in heaven, and he will come back for them someday. This is the context that we're in. And uh, at this point, we think that Jesus and his disciples have probably left the room that they were having their dinner in together. They were starting to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was going to go and pray. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Shall we pray? Father, we just ask that as we've read your word together, and as we dig deeper into it, that you would come and do a heart work in us. That we would not just receive head knowledge this morning, but that you would, across this room, come and touch hearts and change us. Father, we want to be changed as we go into your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, we need to unpack some stuff here Because if someone came up to you today and said, I am the true vine, it wouldn't really make much sense. In fact, it would make no sense. And you'd be thinking, what on earth are you smoking? (laughs) Jesus has declared, I am the true vine. As I've mentioned, they've probably left the upper room together and they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. At this point, they're probably passing. In fact, having done my research, they are passing a number of vineyards. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, there would have been vines and on the temple which was like the centerpiece of the the nation the whole nation the temple which was like the most revered building that you could go to there was a golden vine on the door that was so large that the trunk of the vine was as, was as big as a very large man so they may well have passed the temple on the way to the garden and i think at this point jesus is pointing at this vine and saying i am the true vine The vine was a very, very powerful image for the people of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel are referred to as a vine. In Psalm 80, there's talk of the vine that comes out of Egypt. The people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and God miraculously set them free. And it says here that they were a vine that comes out of Egypt. They were freed from Egypt for a purpose, that they would spread the blessing of God throughout the whole world. Just as a vine, if you can think of ivy, if you have ivy in your garden, we have it everywhere. It spreads into every kind of nook and cranny. It doesn't really have much respect for boundaries or fences. It just goes everywhere. The plan of God for the people of Israel was that they would be a blessing to the whole world, that they would spread like a vine around the whole world and bring the life and blessing of God to every single nation. That was the plan that God had spoken to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a very great nation. This was a guy who had no kids. He said, you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And I'm going to bless your people, and your people are going to be a blessing to the whole world. This was the deal. And so this vine had come out of Egypt, but we see later on in Psalm 80 that they had actually not fulfilled their destiny they had been unfaithful to god and actually that vine had been trampled the people of israel were taken out and carried off into exile in uh, in babylon in babylonia i should say and things were not looking very good at all the people of israel rather than being a light to the nations they'd actually seen the other idols and the other gods of the other nations and had gone after them rather than remaining true to their god who had freed them from slavery So the symbol of of the vine was so important. It was on their coins. There's been coins discovered from this time when Jesus was speaking these words, Roman coins that were in Judea that had the vine on one side and the Roman emperor on the other side. The vine was a hugely important image for them. So for us, it might seem weird that Jesus would say, I am the true vine. But in their context, they fully understood what he meant. He's talking here about the mission of God to the whole world. And he's saying where Israel has failed... I have not failed. Where Israel have been unfaithful, I have been completely faithful. Where Israel has been disobedient, I have been completely obedient to the Father, and I am the true vine. It's through me that the whole world is now going to be blessed. That's what Jesus is declaring boldly there. This passage is a passage all about mission. We These are famous verses, abide in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. We so often think that this is about us and our personal relationship with God. Well, it is about that, but ultimately it's about our relationship with God so that we could be fruitful in mission. The people who heard Jesus' words, his disciples here, would have understood Jesus to be saying, I'm the true vine, I'm the one through whom the whole world is going to be blessed I'm the one through whom the whole world is going to receive the fruit, the light of God. It's not about a race anymore. It's about those who are connected to the vine. So it was significant for them. And Jesus reveals himself as the law fulfiller. He's the one who could fulfill the law. He's the one who could do what they could not do. The the starting point of Christianity is to realize that you cannot do it. You cannot fulfill the laws of God. You cannot please God in and of yourself. You need someone. You need a savior. Jesus Christ has done what we could not have done. He has pleased God. He has fully been obedient to God. We could not. So you need to understand that as point one. If you're not here, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to understand that Jesus has done what you could not do He has pleased God, and you need to be in him. You need to have your faith in him. You need to be wrapped up in him in order to be acceptable before God. He is the obedient one. So Jesus, as he declares, I am the true vine, and as he's just been speaking about the Holy Spirit just before this point, preparing his disciples for when he's no longer with them, he's basically saying the mission is well and truly on. Even though I'm going to the cross, even though I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be falsely trialed, and I'm going to be tortured and beaten and killed, the mission is truly on. The mission to the whole world is going to be fulfilled through me, the true vine. That's what Jesus is saying to them. They would have understood that to be what he was saying. And he gives two keys for the mission here. I'm going to unpack each one. Key number one is pruning. Key number two is abiding. So he's saying here, if you want to be fruitful, there's two keys. If you want to see salvation go to the ends of the world, if you want to see much fruit, there's two keys that you need to understand. Key number one is pruning. It says in verse two, some branches he clears off, some branches he cleans up. There's some people for whom We've come to see that they might be connected to the vine because they kind of hang out near the vine and they might smell a bit like the vine because they've been in close proximity. But actually, they're not really in the vine. They're not really connected and they never actually were. And the winter of temptation comes and exposes the withered and dead branches. That's quite grim to hear that, isn't it, actually? That there are some for whom it seems like the lights are on, but they're not really. It seems like they're connected to the vine, but actually when temptation comes, when hard times come, it actually exposes the fact that they were never really connected to the vine in the first place. God cuts off those branches that aren't really connected to Jesus. There's nothing really more damaging to the church's voice and the church's witness in the world than those who claim to be in Christ but who are not really in Christ, who, who kind of appear like they might have... You know, they kind of do the right, seemingly do the right things. They might even turn up at church often, but they don't really know him. And actually, as they go and purport to be Christians, they're actually a bad witness for Christ. They're actually a bad witness for him. And so Jesus says here, they'll be exposed as dead branches. That's, the one, that's one type of pruning. Then there's a more positive pruning, but it doesn't get much, uh, doesn't get much easier. It's more positive But it's tough. There's a type of pruning that comes around through truth and through trials. There's a type of pruning that God wants to do on genuine believers, those who are genuinely connected to the vine. And that pruning comes around through truth and through trials. Firstly, through truth. That actually, as we get into the scripture, either individually or as we hear it proclaimed or as we share it with our friends, we're struck with truth. And it can sometimes be quite a pruning, I don't know if you've experienced that, that sometimes you can be in the Bible and something can hit you and you can think, wow, that hurts. That really hurts. That, that truth that's come, it's come and smacked me right in the forehead. is actually something that I know needs to change in my life or something that needs to go in my life. Or it might be that someone actually shares the truth in love with you. I've had this in my own life. I've shared before that even before uh, my wife Sarah and I were married, even before we were dating even, when we were just friends, she came to me and spoke the truth in love to me about some sin that was in my life and some error that I was walking in and spoke the truth in love to me, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant, but it was what I needed. That actually sometimes a friend will even say, you know what, in your life I do think you need to hear this truth. You need to be pruned by God through the scriptures, through hearing preaching through your friends, sharing the truth with you. That's one way in which God prunes you. He prunes you so that you will bear more fruit. He prunes you so that you will be more fruitful. And he prunes you also with trials. It's called being disciplined. In fact, uh, the writer to the Hebrews talks about God's fatherly ways. Uh, Let's read together from Hebrews chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. Unless you want to make sure I'm not making it up. Right. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. A little later on in the passage. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. To those who have been trained by it, pruning never, ever, ever seems pleasant at the time. If you can imagine the pruning that happens to a vine, cutting off or cutting back, I should say, some of its branches, that would not be a pleasant experience. It's a painful experience, but it produces a harvest. Who loves it here when God disciplines them? No one. No one loves it. I've prayed prayers before, like, God, I don't want this to be hard. I don't want to be disciplined. But actually, as a loving father, he won't let that prayer be answered. He won't let that prayer be answered because he does want us to grow. He wants us to bear a lot of fruit. He does prune us. And the harder the pruning, the greater the fragrance and the greater the beauty that will later be released. You need to understand that God is not punishing you when he prunes you. Okay? If you're in Christ, if you know him, if you've been saved by him, God doesn't punish you. Sometimes because of your sinful actions, sometimes you will reap what you sow. That just happens. But it's not God punishing you. He will discipline us, but he won't punish us. All If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've acknowledged the fact that on the cross, Jesus bore the punishment for everything that you've ever done wrong. So he's not punishing you. You need to understand that. Some people have come from uh, church backgrounds or come from all kinds of, even your family background, where you understand every trial that you're going through to be a punishment of some sort for something that you have done or said or haven't done or haven't said. God is not punishing you if you're in him. That's not how he responds to his children, but he does discipline. He does discipline, and it is painful. It is painful. We've uh, recently sung a song in church, which is a good song. It's called, a good, it's called Good, Good Father. And there's lots of truth in it. We sing, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. There's so much truth in that song. My one concern about that song is that it doesn't consider the fact that as part of God being a good, good father, that he does discipline us, that he, that he allows us to go through trials He allows us to go through difficulties because he loves us. Because he loves us. He allows us to be pruned. Bruce Milne, who wrote a commentary on the book of John, says this, Our heavenly Father is hungry for fruit and will often in his pruning cut deeper than we would ever have chosen. He always does that, doesn't he? It's always, oh God, I wouldn't have chosen that. When I look back over the last couple of years or even further back, I think I would not have chosen that, God. I wouldn't have chosen to have to have gone through that. But I now see with hindsight why I've had to go through that. Sometimes we won't always see. Sometimes we won't see this side of eternity. But God is sovereign and doing a work in our lives, even in difficulty. Are you getting this? I can understand why you're not smiling because this is not fun. But I want you to get this. God wants to do a good work in us. He's a good vine dresser. He watches over the vine and the branches. He's concerned for fruitfulness and he will prune us in order that we might see more fruit come through. A harvest of holiness. That's what the verses in Hebrews say. Or some might say, well, I'm clean already. I've seen that in verse 3. I'm clean already. When I came to Jesus, he cleaned me up. He's made me right with him. And I know that my destiny is with him on on the final day of judgment. I don't need to fear the judgment because I know that I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, I don't need to be pruned. I don't need to be in any way disciplined. I don't need to go through the trials. I don't need to have the truth um, pruning me and cutting some things back because I'm already in him. No, he wants you to shine in this world. He, remember the mission here. Remember the vine spreading into the world. He wants people who are being fruitful. He wants people who are seeing people set free and saved. He wants people who are demonstrating what it is to live for Jesus in every area of society. And so he wants to do this work in you because he wants you to be effective for him. He doesn't save you and then sit you on the sidelines and say, come on, just uh, watch me do all the work now. He saves you so that you can be part of his mission to the world. And that is why he does this pruning work those who say, I don't want this, those who say, I don't want this kind of work in my life, it's a bit like Peter. In the upper room, when Jesus gets on his knees and starts to wash his disciples' feet, Peter says, no, 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 you're not going there. You're not not going to wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, unless you let me wash you, you have no part in me. If you want to have a part in Christ, you have to let him do a work on your life. Sometimes it's Subtle, sometimes it's like open heart surgery. Sometimes it's really deep and painful. But it's because he loves you. That's part of his being a good, good father. Is that he will allow pruning to happen in your life. And So just to, just to pause for a moment. It may not be that everything that you're going through right now is a, is, is, a, is a pruning. But it may be that something you are going through, in it God wants you to say, God, what are you doing here? what are you doing in my life? What are you you working in me? What change are you working in me? It might be an opportunity really at the end of this message this morning just to think really and reflect and pray and ask God, what is it that you're doing in me? He's readying us for mission. So key number one is pruning. Key number two in the mission is abiding. Now abiding is kind of a Uh, quite an old school word. Uh, Abiding, when Jesus says abiding, he has these things in mind, depending, enjoying, and loving. I'll say that again if you're taking notes, if you're a note kind of person. Jesus is talking about depending, enjoying, and loving. Abiding is about a continual dependence upon a living Savior. There's a lifestyle of depending on him that bears fruit for his glory. J.C. Ryle says this on these verses, the union between the branch of a vine and the main stem is the closest that can be conceived. It is the whole secret of the branch's life, strength, vigor, beauty, and fertility. Separate from the parent stem, it has no life of its own. Jesus is saying through these verses, safeguard your relationship with me before anything else. Safeguard your relationship with me so that I can continue to abide fully in you and supply you with all that you need in order to bear fruit. What does this look like? Does it mean literally praying 24-7? That's impossible. We wouldn't do anything else. (laughs) We wouldn't get anything else done. But it does look like having a posture of dependence upon him, that we might actually be regularly found on our knees or before him face down saying, God, I need you that we might regularly be prayerfully dependent on him. Prayer is a huge part of depending on him. There's three reasons why we don't pray. And in those three reasons, not one of them is because we don't have the time. All right? Sorry. (laughs) There's three reasons we don't pray. Firstly, is that we are self-reliant, that we have this kind of independent attitude and we're unwilling to let go of it. Really, at the root of that is pride. That's Reason number one why we don't pray is our pride. Because we're self-reliant and we're self-dependent. That's the first reason. The second reason is that we're not really convinced that God. we want to spend time with God. We're not convinced that he's a good father. We're not convinced of his goodness. We're not convinced of his goodness. And the third reason is that we're not convinced that it's God's world. We're not convinced that it's God's world. We're not convinced that he can actually respond to our prayers. We're not convinced that he's actually in charge. We're not convinced that he can act upon the prayers of his people. We don't pray because we're self-reliant and proud. We don't pray because we're not convinced enough of the gospel. We forget it so easily that he's a good father, that he cares for his children. And thirdly, We don't pray because we're not convinced that it's his world. We're not convinced that he's even powerful enough to do all that we pray. And so we actually need to firstly humble ourselves. We need to come to realize that apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what Jesus says in that text we've just read together. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That means we can't have any fruit-bearing work in our lives apart from being fully reliant and dependent on him. Secondly, we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of who God has revealed himself to be. He has revealed himself to be a good, good father. And when I think of my own dad, who I love very much, I want to be with him because I think he's a good dad. He's not a perfect dad. When I think of my father in heaven, he is a perfect father. He's a perfect father, and therefore I want to be with him. But I forget that, and you forget that. We all forget that. We need to remind ourselves of the fact that he's a good father. And thirdly, we need to remind ourselves that he's not only a good father, but he's our father who is in heaven. That he's a father who is absolutely sovereign. There's nothing that's too difficult for him. There's nothing that's too difficult for him. When we realize these things, when we remind ourselves of these things, we will pray. We will be dependent on him. I think because in, for example, our family life, I would hope and pray that as my children grow up, that they would become less dependent on me, right? Right? I hope that when they're in their 20s and so on, that I'm not having to teach them every single basic thing about life, that they would be dependent increasingly. And maybe in our workplaces, when you start a new job, well, maybe for the first few days and weeks, you're relying on your boss or your colleague saying, can you just teach me how to do this again? I didn't quite get that before. Can you just show me the system once more? Show me the processes. We think that, As we mature in those things, that actually leads to us being less dependent on others. That's a good thing. It's the opposite in the Christian life. It's the opposite. It's completely the opposite because actually, as we grow in maturity in our walk with God, he wants us to become more dependent on him. He wants us to come to see that the mission that he's given us, the mission that he's given you and I, is so big that we can't do it without him. That we have no chance of being fruitful without him. He wants us to be on our knees before him. I had a I hadn't planned to say this, but a couple of years ago, a friend of mine came and prophesied over me. He he said, he spoke over me what he felt God was saying over me. And he it was actually about three years ago, just before we, we moved here to Ipswich, and he said, God has got things for you to do in Ipswich and beyond that are going to make you curl up in a ball and cry because it's going to be beyond what you can do. That is the kind of mission that he has for each one of us, the kind of lifestyle that he has for each one of us. He wants us to come to see the mission and to come to see that we have to depend on him in order to fulfill the mission. He wants us to be growing in our dependence on him. So Maybe you want to assess this morning, am I maturing in my faith? Well, am I growing in my dependence on him? Do I find myself increasingly before him saying, I can't do this? Or do I find myself increasingly getting on with it and trying and getting burnt out? What is it for you? That's something we can all ask ourselves if we know him. Am I increasingly dependent on my God? We realize we can't do anything that would lead to fruit without him. So if you're a parent here and you're trying to raise children in the ways of Jesus, you realize actually that you can't make true disciples of your children without him, without depending fully on him, without coming to him in prayer. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I want to reach my colleagues. Well, actually, you need to realize that you can't do it without him. You need to depend wholeheartedly on him. I am finding that my prayer life increasingly starts with, I can't do this. Now, it shouldn't start like that. It should start by actually, as Jesus taught us to, to look to our Father who is in heaven. But actually, it comes to give me my daily bread. Bread is quite basic, isn't it? Bread is a basic thing. He's saying, give me the daily bread. I, I need you to, to supply everything I need here, God. I need you to supply it for me. So whilst my prayer life sometimes starts with, God, I can't do this, it does get round to declaring his goodness. It does get round to declaring his power and majesty and coming to convince my own soul that he is enough. But we we ought to be praying at some point in our prayers, I can't do this without you. Come and help me. I can't do it. I hope that you're reassured that as one of your leaders here, that that is a regular prayer in my life. Because I can't do it. I need God. I need God. We need to remember that we're a branch and not the vine. We need to remember that we're a branch and not the vine. I suppose one way of assessing whether or not you consider yourself a a branch or whether you consider yourself the vine is how much do you pray in secret? What's your secret prayer life like? Because some of us can pray when there's others looking on. Some of us can pray when there's others around to help us and encourage us. But how much do we pray in the secret place? How much do we come before God and say, I cannot do this? How much do we assume the posture of a beggar almost? We don't have to beg God, but we should be before him saying, God, I need you. I need you to help me. So abiding looks like depending on him. It also looks like enjoying him. There's a joy in God that he wants us all to have. Jesus said, I'm saying these things for your joy. I'm saying these things that your, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants us to be joyful people. That doesn't mean that we're always superficially going around with happy faces on saying, isn't God good? I know people like that. I know people like that even in this church. Sorry, I do. Who are always have a kind of fake smile plastered on saying, God is good. And will never actually share what is actually going on in their life behind the scenes where they're downright miserable. It doesn't mean putting on a smiley face all of the time, but it does mean calling to mind the things that actually cause us to be joyful. Because even when there's difficult things going on, even when there's trials going on, we've got so much to be joyful about. Let me just read to you a couple of Psalms. Psalm 32, happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. Happy is the one whose transgressions are not counted against him. That's reason for joy. Psalm 92, for you, O Lord have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands, I sing for joy. So we've got a couple of reasons there. Firstly, the fact that our sins have been forgiven, that we're loved by him, that we're accepted in him. Secondly, the work of his hands, we can rejoice in all he's created, the beauty that we see around us. We've got reasons for rejoicing. Even when life is difficult, there is reason to rejoice. Now, it doesn't mean we have to go around with a plastered smile on. But it does mean that even in the depths of our despair and grief, that actually we can look and call to mind everything that we do have to be joyful about because there is lots. We rejoice in the work that he's done in our lives. We have many reasons for thanksgiving and joy. So we we abide in him through enjoying him, enjoying what he's doing, being thankful. One of the keys to joy is thankfulness. The most miserable people I know are the people who have a sense of entitlement have a low appreciation for how much they've been forgiven. They're not really thankful because they don't think they really need needed to be forgiven for that much. Man, when I think of all that I've been forgiven for, it it bubbles up within me a joy. It bubbles up as we were singing even this morning. His, his wounds have paid my ransom. It's bubbling up within me. God, thank you so much. <laughs> so he wants us to abide in him by enjoying him, by being thankful by experiencing the joy that comes through seeing all that he's done in our lives. Finally, we abide in him through loving. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So we begin to read this text and we think, okay, I see that if I obey his commands, then I abide in his love. Well, that's not what he's saying. He's saying here, if you abide in my love, then you will obey my commands. It's not obey my commandments and then you'll love me. He's saying here, actually, it's first about loving me. And out of a love for me, there will flow your obedience to me. It's about a a change of our affections that actually we come to love God and we come to say, I want to do his will. I want to do his will. I want to obey him. When you get that the wrong way around, you're kind of in trouble, really. When you kind of think, well, okay, I need to obey, and then therefore he might love me. Well, actually, no. We come to see that he has loved us. He first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That's what it says in the scriptures. We love because he first loved us. In response to his great love poured out for us, we love him in response and we obey him out of that love. We need to get that the right way around. So we abide in him by loving him, loving others. We see in verse 12 that he wants us to love others. So... We abide in him by depending on him, enjoying him, and loving him from a place of being loved by him. So, when we abide in him in these ways, we will surely bear much fruit. In Isaiah, prophet Isaiah envisioned a time where God's people would blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. That's in Isaiah chapter 27. That we would put forth shoots, we'd blossom and fill the whole world with fruit. That time is still coming. That, that hasn't come about yet. That hasn't happened yet. And so we believe that it is going to come. We believe that it will come. We believe that this whole world will be filled with the knowledge of God. But it's through us, those connected to the vine, the world over, that he wants to spread his glory, that he wants to spread the knowledge of his name, that he wants to spread fruit. He wants to spread life. He wants to spread joy. We're believing for that at Hope Church. We're believing for us at Hope Church to put forth shoots in this town, to put forth shoots, to blossom in this town, to blossom in this area of the country, to blossom in the nations. We're believing that there will be much fruit that will come about as a result of people in Hope Church abiding in Jesus. Are you believing for that as well? Four of you are. Are you believing for that? Are you believing that we're going to bear much fruit in this town and in the nations? I believe that. I so believe that. And the way we're going to see it is by abiding in him, by depending on him, by being on our knees in prayer to him. We advance on our knees. That's how we advance. On our knees. Coming to see that he alone has what we need in order to be fruitful. That happens individually. That happens corporately. And I want to call us, those of you who are regularly amongst us, if, maybe, if you're on holiday, then you can just switch off for 30 seconds. But if you're regularly amongst us, if you're looking to make this church your home, I want to urge you to be here on the 7th of September. In the evening from 7.30 to 9.30, we're going to worship God and we're going to pray. We're going to go after some big things in prayer. We're making prayer a big emphasis uh, this year. We're going to meet once a month to pray and worship. On the first week of the month, there'll be no small groups going on. We want everyone to be here to pray, to worship, to seek God together. We had nearly 100 at the last few of these events. I want us to, I want us to see way more than 100 at these events. Does it matter about the numbers? Yes, it does. In fact, Paul covets the prayers of many when he's writing to the churches that uh, he's in connection with, when he's writing to the church in Corinth in particular, he's saying, the prayers of many help me. The prayers of many. Let's see many, many here on September the 7th. And in October when we meet. And when we meet for enough in November. When we meet in December. Let's see many, many people here lifting the roof in prayer. Because that, as we pray, God will do things. He responds to our prayers in a way that we will not fully get our heads around this side of eternity. He's sovereign. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly what we need before we even ask him. And yet, when we pray, things happen. I loved Edward Burrier's encouragement to us. As he left, he said, I'm going to get many thousands of Kenyans praying for you. And he said, when Kenyans pray, things happen. You know what? It's not just Kenyans. It's wherever you're from. When you pray, things happen. And so I want to encourage you, I want to urge you, maybe even now, (laughs) put it in your diary. If you have a diary on your phone, put it in your diary. September the 7th, be here. There's some big things that we need to give to God in prayer, that we need to ask him for fruit. We need to ask him for salvation. We need to ask him for provision. We need to have a posture of dependence. When we realize, friends, that we're in Christ we can come before God with confidence. In fact, we can almost be audacious in our prayers. It doesn't really, we don't even need to call it audacious audacity because actually we're in Christ. And so that means that the same access that Jesus has before the Father, just think about this for a moment, the same access that Jesus has before the Father, we now have before the Father because we're in Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So that means the way that Jesus is able to walk up to his Father and ask him for things, we too even though we're imperfect we've been clothed in the perfection of Jesus so we can ask God for things. Isn't that (laughs) mind-blowing? Let that blow your mind. That means we can be confident before God in prayer. We can call upon God and say, God would you come and bless us? Would you come and change Ipswich? Would you come and save many? Would you come and Provide for us all that we need for the the future plans with our building. All of the things that we're going after God for. We can be confident before him in because he welcomes us. He beckons us. He accepts us because we're wrapped up in Christ, his son, who he delights in, who he loves. Is that encouraging for you? (laughs) Come along on the 7th of September. If you've never been to a prayer meeting before, come along. This is going to be like anything, unlike anything that you could be imagining. If you've been to some downright dire prayer meetings before, where it's been five people in a room half asleep, come along because this is nothing like that. It's absolutely nothing like that. You need to be here on the 7th of September. We're going to pray and go after God. Ephesians 3, verse 12, In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I'd love us to stand, we're not going to sing, we, I've run out of time, I've ranted for so long, we're not going to have a chance to respond in song, but we're going to respond in prayer. Do you want to just stand with me and we're going, to, we're going to pray now and ask God for his help. Father God, we thank you that you are the vine dresser. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good vine dresser, you're a good father. And the pruning work that you do is because you care so much About us. It's because you care so much that we bear fruit. It's because you care so much that we blossom and become everything that you have called us to be. Thank you that you've called us forth to bear fruit. Thank you, Lord, that we will see. Lord, it's a promise here. We will see fruit. We will see people saved. We will see a a fruit of holiness in our own lives where we will become increasingly like you. We will see it, Lord. You've promised it. And I just want to pray now for. Anyone who's going through a pruning, I want to pray, Lord, that you would comfort them. I pray you comfort them with the truth right now, that they're a son, a daughter of you, and that you're about a good work. Lord God, I pray for those of us who may be even on the cusp of being pruned in some ways. I pray that we would trust in you, Lord, that that work would not be wasted that we would trust in you throughout, that we would cling on to you, we'd cling on to the truth in your word, that we would see that you are disciplining us as a son or as a daughter because you love us. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would abide in you. I pray, Lord, that we would be men and women who truly depend on you. In fact, I, this is a bit crazy. I think we should kneel. I'm going to kneel. You don't have to, but I'm going to kneel. Because I just feel that we need to get before God. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But I just think we need to ask him for everything. Why don't you just in your own mind or heart just say, God, I need you. I absolutely need you. I can't do anything without you. I can't. I can't be remotely fruitful without you. All of the things I want to see in my life, all of the things I want to see in my friends and family, I can't do it without you, God. I'm, I'm leaning heavily on you. I'm, I'm coming to see that in and of myself, I can do nothing. I need you, God. Why don't you say that to him? I need you, God. Let this be my posture in the Weeks and months and years to come. Let this, be, let this be my posture throughout my whole life. That I would be coming to you for everything. Lord God, let us blow, blow away pride in our lives right now. Blow away pride in my life, Father. Blow, blow away the pride in everyone here who is proud and self-dependent, self-reliant. Blow away pride, Lord. Lord. We're sorry, Lord, for the times we've been proud. We're sorry for the times which we've thought we can do it in and of ourselves. Lord, we are dependent on you. Lord, you have every resource that we need. We're abiding in you. We're going to remain dependent on you. We're going to lean heavily on you. We're no longer going to look to our own strength. We're going to look to you. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand again. Just I know I'm getting us to stand and sit down. But let's stand. Lord, we just now just want to ask you for much fruit in this area. Lord, we pray for much fruit in Ipswich and in Suffolk. Lord, we ask for much, much fruit. And in Essex, Lord, all of the places we represent here, we pray for much fruit. We pray that the, the shoots would go out from this place, that there would be Shoots going into every town and village. Fruit being born in every town and village in this area. We pray for nations, that this vine might work its way into nations. Nations that maybe we haven't even, we haven't even thought of yet. Lord, would the vine spread? Would there be fruit known? Lord God, we want to see it. We want to see it, Lord. Give us, a hung, give us a fresh hunger for your mission. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.